The following sermon was delivered by Executive Pastor Reverend Dr. Jonah So in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here is Reverend Dr. Jonah So. Hear now the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 12, starting with the 13th verse. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then Jesus told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. In today's passage, an individual attempts to get Jesus to side with him in a squabble against his brother. The case is simple. The individual wants his brother to share the family inheritance. Mosaic law stated that the firstborn was to receive semantically a double portion of the inheritance, which in reality translates to two-thirds. That means that if there were only two of them, the older brother would get two-thirds and he would get one-third. However, if there were more than two of them, the eldest would keep two-thirds and the other siblings would divide up the remaining third. So it seems like a simple enough thing and in line with the character for Jesus to say to the older sibling, share your wealth, share it. However, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he refuses to get involved and actually chastises the one who wants a portion of the two thirds. Weird, right? Or is it? In my family, the kids learned that the first one to call foul was the most likely to get the parents to side with them. Daddy, Harvey hit me. Mommy, Avery did blah, blah, blah. And it's pretty good, true, converse, uh, good and true observation we did tend to side with the snitch. But in time, 
as parents. We learned that the one telling often played a major role in causing the affront. Now, when we ask, and why did Harvey hit you? Or why did Avery do such and such? The outrage dissipates and transforms a bit. On good days, I catch a glimpse of their remorse at the realization that they share in some of the blame. Jesus does something similar today. Throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus demonstrates the ability to know the hearts and the minds of people. In verse 15, Jesus warns, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus picks up on the sibling's underlying motivation. While he might have had a strong case, Jesus instead addresses the covetousness hidden in the plaintiff's heart and turns it into a teaching moment. The teaching tool that Jesus uses is a parable. A parable is a key to the kingdom of God. It initially comes across as an absurd or unrealistic story, but when studied and considered, when meditated upon, it unlocks the treasure, a treasure of insights and understanding. The parable goes something like this. A rich individual has a great harvest and builds larger barns because of it. After achieving that goal, the individual resolves to relax and enjoy life. But as he does that, God demands his life. How tragic, no? I must admit, as I reflected on this passage this week, I was bothered. The man worked hard and then wanted to, what, relax, eat, drink, and be merry, and then boom, dead. In the Friday e-blast, I shared how I thought I worked hard and how I was excited for vacation, essentially messaging that I want to <laughs> relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Should I fear that my life will now be demanded of me? Jesus' message at the end of the parable in verse 21 gives me some relief and hope. He says, So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Storing up treasures is not a negative thing. Actually, it's good planning. It's good stewardship. It's not being wasteful. The problem that Jesus identifies is not being rich toward God. Now, what does that mean, to be rich toward God? The parable is a key to help us understand this. 
the parable starts with verse 16. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. Note that it does not say the man worked the land. The credit to the abundance goes to the land, not the man. In other words, the man had nothing to do with the land's production. You could argue he was lucky or that God had blessed him. He wasn't responsible for anything. And after he accumulated the abundance, verse 17 tells us, and he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. In this parable, we as readers are privy to the character's thoughts. The rich man thought to himself. He did not seek wisdom or guidance in prayer. He alone wondered about what he should do with his accumulation. But we find out even more from his thoughts. In verses 18 through 19, then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Go ahead and take a look at those, you know, that passage when you have a chance and see the I wills and the my's in there. It is evident in these two verses that the rich man believes the ownership and the outcome of his life belong to him. The rich man divulges his plans. I will, I will do. I will pull down and build. I will store. I will say. And the man, the rich man labels his claims. My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. Not once in his thoughts does he mention or acknowledge God. Then, in verse 20, God makes an appearance. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. I don't know if you know this, but this is the only parable in the Gospels in which God, God's self appears as a character and speaks. And when God appears, the first words are, you fool. To be absolutely clear, the rich man in this parable is not a bad man. He does not manipulate, steal, or mistreat. He is not a criminal. So I don't want you to think, if you've heard this, oh, there's a bad guy. It's like one of us. Not so bad. Decent. It would be easier, actually, if he were bad, but he's not. And to me, that's the frightening thing about this parable. The rich man has done nothing wrong. 
Each step that he takes is one that can be defended as prudent and reasonable. In one sense, the rich man was living how our life goals. And yet, here he is, being insulted by God. This rich man could very much adamantly claim to be a person of faith, the same way which you and I would and could. There's just no way to really tell. But there might be a clue in God's label for the man. From the Old Testament, in God's words, we can hear the echo of Psalm 14, verse 1. It says, Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. Psalm 14, 1. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. In this parable, the rich man acted and lived as if there were no God. Maybe in his heart, he does believe in God. Maybe he claims Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior in his heart. However, in his actions, in his life, he gives no consideration to God. He lives as if there is no God. In failing to acknowledge God in the parable, the rich man demonstrates one way how not to be rich toward God. Another way the rich man serves as a cautionary tale to us is through his self-sufficient greed. In examining the parable, we found that the rich man never considered God. In the same way, the rich man never considered any other person. No family members, no trusted friends were in the calculus of his life. He consulted only with himself. The rich man determined to rely solely on himself and his possessions. He resolved and believed he could be self-sufficient and he needed no community. And I think that this mentality affected his generosity, rather the lack thereof. Never in the parable did the rich man give thought to how he could help those in need, considering his abundance. The rich man was trapped in his greed. He was completely blind to others and void of compassion, thereby incapable of or simply refusing to responsibly steward his wealth. He focused on amassing and accumulating for himself and his own enjoyment. But God would not allow it. For as much as the rich man might plan to do it his way, verse 20 reveals God's plan. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, 
whose will they be? Whose will they be? As much as the rich man acquired for himself, inconsiderate of others, when God calls for his life, to whom will the accumulated wealth go? To someone else. The way to be rich toward God as revealed in this parable is closely tied to the summary of the two great commandments found in the same gospel of Luke chapter 10, verse 27, which goes, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Being rich toward God means to use one's treasures for God and for others. One of the things the rich man said he will do in in verse 19 is, Say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You know, a variation of this verse appears in Isaiah chapter 22 verse 13 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 32. It goes like this. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In the NRSV, it's exactly like that in both the Old Testament Isaiah and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It offers a humbling perspective that the rich man did not have. He understood the eating and drinking part, but he did not consider the latter part, that life is limited and beyond our control. The rich man forgot that life is fleeting because knowing this changes the way we live. I go on vacation tomorrow. I am so excited for it. But ask some of the staff and they will tell you that I'm also freaking out about the vacation. Because when I get back, homecoming's on the horizon. Like, like summer will be over. I mean, oh my gosh, the summer's over. You know, that panic of, oh my gosh, already? I'm not ready for it to be over. And just like that, I feel like my vacation is ruined without even starting. But it is not. The realization that the vacation is short makes it precious. That the vacation will be a part of my rejuvenation and restoration to come back and serve this community faithfully adds meaning to it. Maybe this passage today is something we need to be reminded of this summer. You see, Jesus' warning to the sibling who coveted the the inheritance rings true for us. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Right? Some of us might have been led into believing that we must accumulate and acquire. And we have become so obsessed with it that we work and work hardly resting. The fuller message that the parable teaches us is that possessions are tools which ought to be used to draw us closer to God and to others. 
others of us may have been lulled into focusing on our own pleasures and comfort. And we have served only our desires. And the parable reminds us that time is short. With the time that we are granted, ensuring Sabbath rest for us, in order that we might be restored and revived to serve God and others, is the better way that Christ teaches. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Family of faith, go into the world knowing that you are rich in God's eyes and that you have been given new life in Jesus Christ. May that good news transform you. And may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you this day and every day. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.